Well, powerful singing that I pray will lead us into our study of the Word of God. And if you have a Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have Bibles uh, in some of the chairs in front of you. If you look, some of the chairs have a rack and there are Bibles there. If you don't have one and, and want to follow along in the version that I happen to be reading from, the English Standard Version, we come to a passage this morning, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9, that is part of our ongoing study of the book of 1 Peter. We will end this study next Sunday morning. The passage we come to this morning is one of those passages that every Christian on a regular basis needs to preach to himself or herself. You need to take these two verses. I would encourage you, if you haven't done it already, to memorize these two verses. But we need to do more than that. We need to preach these verses to us, to ourselves on a regular basis. These are crucial to the Christian life. We need to be reminded of these always. And so may this morning's message simply serve as a reminder of why this is so important. We have seen in chapter 5 that the elders of the church are to shepherd the flock of God and they are to do it not in a domineering or arrogant way but with tenderness and gentleness all of us are to be humble. We are to be subject to the elders. We are to be clothed with humility. We are to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And know that as we seek to do all of those things, we have an enemy. And that enemy wants to destroy us. I want you to know this morning that the enemy wants to destroy you as an individual Christian. The enemy wants to destroy your family. And the enemy wants to destroy this church and every church that carefully and faithfully teaches the word of God. All of us need to know that we have an enemy who is on the attack all the time. Peter writes, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Well, our first point this morning is your adversary, the devil. Satan is a fallen angel who rebelled against God, and now he is the enemy of God, the enemy of good angels, and the enemy of God's children. If you remember nothing else from this message, I want you to remember that Satan is real. He is not a concept. He is not a force. He is not some mystical idea. He is a real person, a very real person, and he commands a whole army of demonic forces. It is foolish 
It is foolish to underestimate the power of Satan or to question his existence. Blindness to the existence of an enemy makes it almost impossible to resist him. Let me give you just a very, very brief background. A number of years ago, I did a whole series on angels and demons. I think it was in 2006. And in that series, I devoted an entire sermon, entire sermon just to who is Satan. I don't want to go into all those background details, but I want to give you just, just a little bit here. Satan and the other names that he is known by is mentioned in seven, seven Old Testament books. Every writer of the New Testament wrote of him. He is mentioned 29 times in the Gospels alone. And of those 29 times, 25 times, it is Jesus who talks of him or who mentions him. Peter tells us, Your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And I want you to notice... Please notice that he is called your adversary. He is not just the adversary of God. He is not just the one who is active in this world. He is your enemy. He is your adversary. And I want you to know this morning that Peter knew this firsthand. I mean, Peter had some very firsthand, real experience with Satan himself. In Luke chapter 22, Peter is about to deny Jesus three times, but before that happens, Jesus speaks powerful words to him. Luke 22, verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. I want you to notice that middle clause there. Satan demanded. ESV has an interesting translation here. It's a good one. Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. I want every one of us to know this morning, Satan's desire is not simply to wound you. He wants to destroy you. Satan is not only called a lion here, he is called a roaring lion. He is someone who is on the prowl. He is someone who is stalking you, looking for ways to get at you. He's crafty. He's cruel. He's restless. He's vicious. And he's brutal. Now, I would say for most of us here this morning, the only times that we have seen a lion is at the zoo or on television. Now, there may be a few of you who are here, who maybe you've been to Africa on some kind of expedition, and maybe you've seen a lion in the open terrain. But most of us haven't. But we have seen enough of a lion to know that they are beautiful. Creatures, beautiful animals, they are powerful. They are powerful and they can be vicious. 
I remember a couple of years ago, we took our granddaughters to the Potter Park Zoo. We love to go to Potter Park. And if you've been there, you know that they have the one exhibit where they have the male and female lions and they're out in the open where you can see them as you walk down the path or you can go in the building, which we did. And they have this thick glass where the lions come in and then sometimes they go back out and if you hit it just right, one of the lions will be in there. Well, we happened to be in there when one of the male lions came in and the male lion comes strutting in and then all of a sudden he just made a sudden move toward the glass and we all jumped back and, and that's how it is with a lion. I mean, they are, you know, they're just so powerful. I mean, here he is behind this thick glass, but still there is that sense of awesomeness when you see a lion. I read something interesting this week. And as many times as I've studied this passage and I memorized it uh, in the NIV many years ago, I hadn't thought of it quite this way. A couple of writers pointed out that Peter may have, of course they didn't have zoos like we have today, but he may have seen a caged lion. He may have seen a lion in the open terrain, but it is likely think of this, it is likely that Peter may have witnessed either Christians or other victims being thrown to the lions in Rome. He may have, and again, we don't know this for sure, but it's possible that Peter may have seen lions tearing people apart, limb by limb, slaughtering them, mangling their bodies, and he says to his readers, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking, seeking someone to devour. A Christian who thinks he's immune to Satan's attacks has become a prime target for the evil one. Every once in a while, I will hear new believers and they do it in innocence, in the excitement of their newfound faith, and will say, boy, Satan will never get at me. Satan will never get at me. And I always say to them, lovingly, don't ever say that. Don't ever say that, because when you don't think Satan can get at you, you become his prime target. He wants to show you he can get at you. In the Jerusalem Bible, I was reading in one commentary, and they had the translation of this sentence from the Jerusalem Bible. And it says this, it says, Satan is like a roaring lion walking around looking for someone to eat. I thought that was an interesting translation. Satan is like a roaring lion walking around looking for someone to eat. And then the writer says this, let's get one thing straight. Satan is hungry and you're on the menu. That's true. Satan is hungry, and you're on the menu. And as I said earlier, your family's on the menu. This church is on the menu. I'll tell you, the United States of America is on the menu, and he is attacking like a vicious, prowling lion. And I want you to know, and I know most of you know this, and this is a little bit of repetition for you, but it's good to be reminded, all of us here have weak points. 
And Satan loves to exploit and attack those weak points in your life. There may be an area of your life where you are especially prone to temptation. You may have some bad habits in your life. You may have some besetting sins. And I want you to know, Satan knows what they are. I want you to know that he is not God. He is not God. But he is a lot more cunning. And if I could say this in the sense of evil, he is brilliant. He's not God, and he's under completely subject to God, but in his evilness, if I could say it this way, he is brilliant. He knows. He knows those areas of temptation. He knows those areas of weakness. He knows those besetting sins in your life, and that's where he wants to attack. I remember we used to watch with our kids when when they were little, and maybe you do the same thing, some of these documentaries by uh, National Geographic or others about animals, and the one on the lion pointed out how patient they are. They will see a pack of antelope or zebras or other herds, and they will wait in the tall grass for hours, hours and hours. You know what they're waiting for? They're waiting for someone who is weak in the pack to separate from the pack. Or they're waiting for one of the animals who may in foolishness separate themselves from the protection of the pack and instantaneously, with lightning quickness, they attack that person. And folks, I think that's what Satan does with us. He is very patient. We may have some good days, some good weeks, some good months, but he's waiting. He's waiting for that weak time, that weak moment When you think you're alone, when you think you're secret, no one's watching, or you give in to that temptation, and he is there like a roaring lion, looking, seeking someone to devour. Three times, three times in the New Testament, Jesus says that Satan is the prince of this world. In 1 John 5.19, a verse that I've shared with you many times before because it just intrigues me, John writes this. He says, We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. I just find that fascinating. Two things we know. First, we know we are the children of God. Praise God for that. Second thing we know, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Now, God ultimately controls all things, but for a time, he has allowed... He has allowed Satan to be the prince of this world. And when you look around the world and you see the evil, the heinous crime and violence and evil that is going on in our world, know this, that Satan is always behind all of it. He is always behind all of it. In fact, I would say to you, if we didn't have Christ living in us, if we didn't have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, if we didn't have the sure foundation of the Word of God, we'd be paranoid all the time. It would be frightening to think of what Satan could do to us. And that leads to the second point this morning 
a fourfold strategy. This is a very practical passage of Scripture. Peter gives all of us, his readers, and every Christian after that, all of us, a fourfold strategy for defending ourselves against the attacks of Satan. First, he says, be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. Now, when we think of being sober, we tend to think of alcohol. We think someone has a problem with alcohol and they're exhorted or told to stay sober, stay sober. And actually, this has a connection to that. To be sober-minded means to do everything you can to not, to not come under the intoxicating influence or the attractions of this world. It is to do everything you can to keep yourself from coming under the intoxicating influence of sin and the attractions of this world. It is the ability to be clear-minded. It is the ability to see reality for what the world is really like because you know Scripture and your mind is clear. Sometimes... And we've all experienced it. We find ourselves deeper in sin than we want to be. And it numbs us to how we're hurting ourselves and how we're hurting the people around us. And we are not sober-minded. Sometimes when people are living in sin, I or you may say to them, do you realize what you're doing? And they'll say, well, it's none of your business. I'm not hurting anyone. And you think, oh, yes, you are. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting your family. You're hurting everyone around you. How can you be so blind? And that is how we come under the intoxicating influence of sin. And so Peter tells us, be sober-minded. Second, he says, be watchful. To be watchful means just what it says. It means to stay awake and to be in a constant state or a constant mindset of alertness and readiness. It's knowing that the enemy is coming, but you're not sure where he's going to come from. It is the classic illustration of a soldier. And he's in territory that he's unfamiliar with. Maybe he's in a jungle setting. Maybe it's dark, and he knows the enemy is coming. He just doesn't know where the enemy is going to come from. So he's always alert, always looking around, wondering, could he come from the back, the front, one of the sides? And so there's this state, this sense of alertness and readiness. I remember listening to a speaker at a conference a number of years ago. And he was telling about how his house had been broken into. He lived in a two-story home, and he said it was a very nice neighborhood. And fortunately, his children were now adults and had moved out of the home, so it was just him and his wife. But their two-story home in their bedroom was on the second floor. And he said in the middle of the night one night, his wife poked him. And she said, I think there's somebody downstairs. And he said he sat up in his bed and he could hear people downstairs. He could hear some clanging and some rustling downstairs. 
He said he didn't know what to do. This was before cell phones were so prevalent. And he said they had a baseball bat upstairs. He didn't know whether he should get the bat and run downstairs or what he should do. And his wife grabbed him and said, don't do anything. I don't want you to get hurt. I don't want you to get killed. So he said he just sat there. Fortunately, eventually, he heard them leave. And he went downstairs and he called the police and they came. And sure enough, they... They had robbed their house. They had taken all kinds of stuff. And the reason he told the story was for this. He said when he sat up in his bed, every muscle in his body was tense. He said he could hear every sound down there. He wasn't sure what to do. He said just every part of him was wondering, okay, what do I do now? What do I not do? And that's, in essence, what Peter is saying here when he says, be watchful. He says, be in a constant state of readiness and alertness, especially in the spiritual realm, because you never know where the devil may come from. Just know this. He's prowling around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And again, Peter knew this firsthand. In a scene that you're all familiar with, it happened in the Garden of Gethsemane, Matthew 26, verses 40 and 41. This is what it says of Jesus when he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? Now watch this. He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The Spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. Peter experienced this firsthand. They couldn't even stay awake in those night hours for one hour. And he says, Jesus makes that classic statement, which is the same thing as being watchful. And I'm sure it's why Peter says it here. Jesus says, watch and pray. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Third, third, resist the devil firm in your faith. In verse 9, it says, resist him firm in your faith. The New International Version has resist him Standing firm in the faith. Now, that is a good translation here. Because when it says firm in your faith, it's not talking about your faith in the sense that have faith, believe. Rather, it is talking about the faith. Your faith that you believe in. It is talking about the essential teachings of the Christian faith. Resist the devil, standing firm, firm in the essential teachings of the Christian faith. This means standing firm in the truth of Scripture. When Satan wants to attack you, know what you believe and stand on what you believe. That's what he's saying. Know what you believe and stand firm on what you believe. No one says this better than Jesus himself when he's being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. 
And in Matthew 4 and verse 4, we read, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. It is written. And that's what Peter means when he says, resist him. Firm in your faith. Jude, in fighting against false teachers, says essentially the same thing. In Jude, verse 3, he says, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I, find it, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. That's exactly what it means when it says firm in your faith, firm in the faith. Contend, brothers and sisters, contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. John MacArthur writes this, this is a call. This is a call to know and believe sound doctrine to be discerning and distinguishing truth from error, and to be willing to defend the truth and expose error. That's what it means. Firm in your faith. It means to believe the essential truths of the Christian faith, which is what sound doctrine is. It means to be able to distinguish between the truth and what is false. It means a willingness to defend the truth and to expose error. So Peter says, my brothers and sisters, be sober-minded, be watchful, resist the devil, firm in your faith, and forth, forth. Remember that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. He says, knowing Verse 9, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced, notice he says, by your brotherhood. By your brotherhood throughout the world. Now in this sense, Peter brings us to the context of everything he's been saying in all five chapters of 1 Peter. Those to whom Peter writes, if you've been with us in this series, those to whom Peter writes were standing for Christ in the midst of great suffering, a suffering under the Roman Empire that was about to get worse under the Emperor Nero. It is possible that some of these brothers and sisters saw one of their brethren torn apart by a lion or persecuted in some other way by the Roman Empire. And Peter has been exhorting them to stand for Christ. And they have been humbly and submissively, bravely and courageously in the midst of many persecutions, many sufferings, and many trials. And he says to them, I want you to know, and they need to know, they need to know they're not alone. That their brothers and sisters in the faith throughout the world are standing strong too. And he says, oh, dear children in the faith, I want you to know whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're suffering, 
your brothers and sisters around the world are going through things like this and they're standing for Christ too. You are not alone. And I think this is something that Peter gives us here that we don't preach about enough and we don't talk about enough. And that is we must remember that our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world at this very moment are standing firm in the face of satanic attacks. All over the world right now, our brothers and sisters, whether they be in China or Vietnam or Laos or Thailand or Syria or the Sudan or whatever part of the world they may be in, our brothers and sisters are standing for Christ against satanic attacks on a regular basis. And we need to know that. I believe that's important for us to know for a number of reasons. Number one, we need to know right here in our church, in our country today, we need to know that we have brothers and sisters in Christ all around the world, in every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And they're standing with us. It's as if we grab hands together with them spiritually and we stand together with them. Another reason we need to know it is because sometimes when we think our problems are so big, we need to know what other Christians are going through and they're making it. They're trusting their Savior and we can too. I was just reading on Franklin Graham's website, and maybe some of you have already seen this, but just he was telling the story of the 21 Egyptian Christians who were beheaded by ISIS. I shared with you a few weeks ago of the attack in Pakistan in which on Easter Sunday morning, just this past Easter Sunday morning, where there was this, what was called a massive suicide bombing. 70 people killed, close to 300 wounded. And there were more than just Christians killed, but it was a specific attack targeting Christians. According to the voice of the martyrs, there are more Christians being persecuted today than at any other time in history. Part of it is just the sheer increase in population around the world. But there are a lot of Christians being persecuted for their faith today. And we need to know that. And I believe that we need to read about it. And I want to just challenge all of us this morning, including myself. Let's try to make it a habit. To make it a habit to read about persecu persecuted Christians around the world couple of suggestions here. I've mentioned the Voice of the Martyrs. They have a, 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 a very thorough website. Two other organizations, and these aren't the only ones, but two of the more prominent ones. One is Open Doors, and the other is International Christian Compassion. And you can go on there and you can read specific accounts, not about 200 years ago, not about 70 years ago, but last month. This year, you can read about your brothers and sisters in the faith who are enduring, who are facing vicious attacks by Satan, and they are standing for their Savior. And we need to know that, and we need to stand 
with them, knowing that the same kinds of suffering, Peter says, are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Well, let me try to bring this all together this morning and then we'll close. The attacks of Satan in your life may come at any moment. He may attack from different directions and in different areas of your life. He will. He will try to expose and to exploit the sinful weaknesses in your life. Always. Our goal is to always be in a state of alertness and readiness, knowing that this could happen. So Peter says to us, be sober-minded, be watchful, resist the devil, and stand firm in the faith. And remember, remember that you are joined by brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world who are in this battle with you. You are never alone because Christ is always with you. You are never alone because you are spiritually bound to your brothers and sisters around the world. Let's pray together. Father, help us to never take the enemy lightly. To remember Peter's words as long as we walk on the face of this earth, that our adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Oh Lord, help us. Help us because we are weak. Help us because we each struggle with our own sins. Help us to be in a constant state of alertness and readiness. Help us to resist him in the power of Christ. Help us to resist him standing firm in the faith. And Lord, with our brothers and sisters around the world, help us to never deny, but to always bring glory to our Lord and Savior Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.